0: We'll hear argument first today in Zero Five Eleven Twenty, Massachusetts versus Environmental Protection Agency. Mr. Milkey.
1: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, if I may, I'd like to frame the uh, the merits very quickly and then turn immediately to standing. Although the case before you arises in an important policy area, it turns on ordinary principles of statutory interpretation and administrative law. EPA made a decision based on two grounds, both of which constitute plain errors of law reviewable under any standard. EPA's principal ground was that it lacked authority over the emissions of the four substances at issue, uh, even if they, in fact, endanger public health and welfare. That legal conclusion fails as a matter of law. As a fallback position, EPA declined to consider if these substances are endangering public health and welfare, claiming its policy approach made more sense than the regulatory scheme encompassed in Section 202 of the Clean Air Act. Although EPA possesses a good deal of discretion in applying the statutory endangerment test, it cannot rest its ruling on impermissible grounds as it did here. We are not asking the Court to pass judgment on the science of climate change or to order EPA to set emission standards. We simply want EPA to revisit the rulemaking petition based on permissible considerations. And now, Your Honor, I'd like to turn to standing. Uh, Petitioners showed a wide variety of injury, in fact, all of which are the kinds of harms the statute was aimed at preventing. For example, our uncontested affidavits established that, as a matter of physics, the more greenhouse gases accumulate in the air, uh, the more temperatures are going to rise, ocean waters expand, and the seas rise. And, of course, as the seas expand, uh, they rise everywhere around the world, some areas such as Massachusetts will be hit particularly hard because we 're also subject to land subsidence but uh, that
2: uh, I, I thought that, that standing requires uh, uh, imminent harm if you haven 't been harmed already, you have to show that harm is imminent. Is, is this harm imminent
1: uh, It is your honor. We have shown that the sea levels are already occurring from the current amounts of greenhouse gases in the air, uh, and that means it's only going to get worse as uh, Well, the green- uh, when?
2: I mean, when, when, when is the uh, predicted uh, cataclysm?
1: Uh, Your Honor, it's, it's not so much a cataclysm as ongoing harm. It's a uh, the harm does not suddenly spring up in the year 2100. It plays out continuously over time. And even to the extent you focus on harms that occur in the future, there's nothing conjectural about that. Once these gases are emitted into the air and they stay a long time, the laws of physics take over.
2: Well, there's a lot of conjecture about whether uh, I, I gather that there is something of a consensus on warming, but not a consensus on how much of that is attributable to human activity. And I gather that, uh, what what is it, something like 7 percent of the uh, total uh, carbon dioxide emissions are attributable to automobiles in the United States? It's
1: actually — it is about 6 percent, Your Honor. Six percent. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, but but it's, it's important to point out as well, though, that in, in, the, in the ruling we challenge, EPA has disavowed authority over all U.S. sources of emissions, which constitute uh, about 20 percent uh, of global green. Yeah, but that
2: doesn't go to the harm that you're claiming. I mean, we're, we're talking about the, you know, the, the, uh, the standing issue right now, and, and if you've been harmed, uh, you, you've claimed harm because of carbon dioxide emissions, right?
1: Uh, agreed, Your Honor, but my, my point was that they have disclaimed authority over all sources. I understand, of
2: current... but that has nothing to do with whether you have standing. Uh, that, that has to do with the merits of the case. But on the standing point, uh, uh, only new cars would be affected right so uh, so even the reduction of the six percent would, uh, would 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 uh, would take a few years wouldn 't it
1: It would take a few years, your honor, but it is a basic premise of the Clean Air Act that vehicle fleets regularly turn over um, i
2: understand but uh, but it, it goes to to how imminent the harm is and how uh, how remediable the imminent harm is uh, if uh, in fact, the six percent will only be reduced to, to maybe five and a half in the next few years, and then you know. Uh,
1: Your, Your Honor, we, we have shown on the record that a forty percent uh, reduction in carbon dioxide uh, from cars is currently feasible. And since those emissions count for. Well, not,
2: not in the first year. Not... No, no,
1: we we agree, Your Honor. I mean, but...
2: ultimately, when, uh, when all the cars currently on the roads are off. And the new cars, with, with you know, with whatever measures you think will uh, reduce the carbon dioxide, are on the road. Then, forty
1: percent would, would be the figure. Yes, yes, Your Honor. Um,
3: whatever whatever position holds for motor vehicles would similarly hold for power plants. And has there been been any uh, application to EPA with respect to p- carbon dioxide? emissions from power plants
1: there has your honor in fact uh epa has turned down a, a rulemaking petition to regulate them under the new source performance standards section uh, of the clean air act and that is currently on appeal in the dc circuit but is it is currently state pending the outcome of this case do you and, get to
0: do you get the benefit of that broader allegation and establishing your standing in other words if you're challenged EPA's refusal to uh, apply a particular level of greenhouse regulation to a particular model of car. Can you say, well, they're following the same approach to coal-powered, uh, coal-fueled power plants, and so uh, we get to uh, establish a broader injury? Or aren't you limited to the specific legal challenge you're raising here,
1: Your, Your Honor? I, I think it's actually more direct in the sense that in in the decision we challenge here, they said. Greenhouse gases are not air pollutants under any regulatory provision of the Act. Um, so at least on the — don't you
0: have to show injury from their decision here? And the fact that other people, or you presumably as well, might be injured by their decisions that you're not challenging here, that doesn't help your standing case here, does it?
1: I, I believe it does, Your Honor, because we cannot win that other case unless we win this case here in terms of the authority question. Um and in, in any event, it's important to point out that because of the scale of the problem, relatively small percentage reductions in global emissions can lead to real-world results. For well, example, At the, at the
4: outset, uh, you made the some of us perhaps reassuring statement that we need not talk, decide about global warming in this case. But uh, don't we have to do that in order to decide the standing argument? Uh, because there's no injury if there's not global warming. Or can you show standing simply because there is a likelihood that the proceedings would show that there is an
5: injury?
1: Your Honor, especially in this case where none of our affidavits were challenged, I don't think the Court needs to go there ultimately on the merits because we showed through our uncontested affidavits uh, that these harms will occur. There was no evidence put in to the contrary. And I would add that the reports on which EPA itself relies conclude that climate change is occurring.
0: But those affidavits talked about the fact that if the government starts to regulate, that technology is going to change, and if the technology is going to change, other governments are going to adopt it and all that. And that strikes me as kind of spinning out conjecture on conjecture of the sort that we've disapproved of.
1: Your Honor, although we believe we have shown that other governments will follow suit, we are not in any sense relying on that. We can easily show our standing without relying on that. Um, And that's because. Same
0: argument if the automobile emissions were 1 percent contributors?
1: It it would be the the same argument. And I I would add that EPA, in other contexts, has determined uh, on several occasions that a 1 percent contribution is significant under the Clean Air Act.
0: How is that consistent with our, our taxpayer standing cases where the argument is? A taxpayer doesn't have standing to challenge an illegal expenditure as a general matter simply because his contribution, the benefit that he's claiming, is so small and so widely dispersed.
1: Uh, Your Honor, it's different because here there is particularized injury that we have shown. Um, The injury doesn't get any more particular than states losing 200 miles of coastland, both sovereign territory and property we actually own, to rising seas. Uh-huh. If, you, if you look ahead
6: i don 't know how far imminence allows you to look ahead, but let 's say you look ahead five years or ten years. What particularized harm does the record show that Massachusetts will uh, or faces a, an imminent threat of suffering that can be traceable to uh, the, the reductions that you want to, to produce through these regulations
1: well, your honor, if I can, if I can deal with the, with the traceability part of that question first. Um, traceability is easy to show here because the extent of our harm is caused by the overall amount of the gases in the air. And be you focus on the 20 percent of all U.S. sources or the 6 percent of, of the cars, um, that's still a sizable portion of the problem. So uh, we know that 6 or 20 percent is there. In terms of the particular harms, um, we have shown that
6: Six c- or 20, 6% is is the total emissions, uh, the total contribution from motor vehicles in the United States, right?
1: To the global um, to, carbon to dioxide. To the global,
6: emission. and so the, the reduction that you could achieve under the best of circumstances with these regulations would be a small portion of that, would it not?
1: Uh, it would be, we have shown on the record, uh, it would be about a 2.5% um, over the time it takes to turn the fleet over. and But it's, it's important because Given the nature of the harms, even small reductions can be significant. For example, if we're able to save only a small fraction of the hundreds of millions of dollars that Massachusetts parks agencies are projected to lose, that reduction is itself significant. That assumes
0: everything else is going to remain constant, though, right? It assumes there isn't going to be a greater contribution to greenhouse gases from economic development in China and other places that's going to displace whatever whatever marginal benefit you get here.
1: Yes, Your Honor, but — Reducing domestic emissions will reduce our harm, um, the harm we would otherwise face, regardless of what?
0: Not if your harm is the alleged loss of coastline. Not necessarily. It depends on what happens across the the globe with respect to greenhouse emissions.
1: Your Honor, we would still lose coastline, but we would not lose as much, um, because these harms are cumulative, and um, while reducing U.S. emissions will not eliminate all of the harm we face, it can reduce the harm that these emissions are causing. So it will necessarily uh, reduce our harm and satisfy uh, redressability.
2: Yeah, I mean, do, do, do we know that that's a, that's a, that's a straight line uh, um, a ratio, that uh, a reduction of 2.5 uh, percent of uh, carbon dioxide, uh, well, it, 2.5 overall, would, uh, would save 2.5 percent of your coastline? I mean, uh, is that how it works?
1: I'm, I'm not a
2: scientist, but I'd be surprised if it was so, uh, uh, so rigid. Your
1: Honor, your Honor, I don't believe it's established as necessarily a straight line, but I, I want to emphasize that small vertical rises uh, cause a large loss of horizontal land. For example, where the slope is less than 2 percent, which is true of much of the Massachusetts coastline, uh, every foot rise will, will um, create a loss of, of more than 50 feet of horizontal land, and, for example, uh, in the State of New York, the uh, Oppenheimer Affidavit projects that New York could well lose thousands of acres of of its sovereign territory by the year 2020. Um, So the harm is is already occurring, it is ongoing, and it will happen well into the future. But what's your
0: strongest uh, case from this Court uh, uh, to support your standing allegation?
1: Uh, your, your Honor, uh, what, I, what I would say to that is our standing here is so much more direct and particularized than, for example, the harm this Court found sufficient in Laidlaw, um, which was in Laidlaw the law. was
0: a, was a specific citizen suit provision, wasn't it?
1: it? It was, Your Honor. So
0: doesn't that make it somewhat analytically distinct from this case?
1: Uh, I, I don't believe so, Your Honor. Um, here, I think the fact that the states are showing harm not only to them in a property sense, but in their sovereign capacity. What what's
4: your, what's your authority for that? I have the same question as the Chief Justice I was looking to brief for the strongest case. Suppose there were a, land, a big landowner that owned lots of coastline, what, would he have the same standing that you do? Or do you have some special standing as a State? And if so, what is the case which would demonstrate that?
1: Oh, Your Honor, first of all, we, we agree that a, a large landowner would uh, himself or herself... Or even a small landowner.
4: No, no. I I mean, I'm asking whether or not you have some special
1: yes, st- yes, yeah, uh, standing as a State, and if so, what the authority f- for that is. Um, Your Honor, the uh, first of all, I, I do think we have special standing. Um, for example, here, uh, it's uncontested that um, greenhouse gases are going to make ozone problems worse, which makes it harder for us to comply um, with our um, our existing clean air responsibilities. And uh, the the, the uh, in the West Virginia case, which is a D.C. Circuit case, uh, the Court found that that itself provided an independent source of standing. In terms of Supreme Court cases, um, the – it's been, you know, for 200 years. This court has recognized loss of state sovereign property as a tradition. Well, I, I,
4: of I don't know. Too. 1907 was Georgia versus Tennessee Copper, and that was pre-Massachusetts versus Mellon. It seems to me your best case. What about a small land? Uh, I, I asked the question about a big landowner. So, so suppose you have a small landowner. Your he, Honor, he owns a lot.
1: Your Honor, I think if someone is losing property uh, because of this problem, then that person would have standing, but we're nowhere near a de minimis threshold here. We we have shown we own property uh, 200 miles of coastline, which we're losing, and, and we think the standing is straightforward. No, we uh, — I'm not sure. I think our
2: opinions have even said it, but certainly commentators have often said it, that really the, the far margin of our — Standing cases has been the you know the famous scrap case, in which the allegation was that uh, uh, that the the added pollution uh, from uh, municipal incineration of municipal waste, which would uh, which couldn't be uh, transported by rail for burial because the ICC rates were too high. Uh, that added pollution interfered with uh, the students they were georgetown law students they 're hiking in the George Washington forest uh, uh, along the blue Ridge. Uh, that seems to me uh, a much more immediate kind of uh, damage, and yet that 's been referred to as really you know the far margin of our of our standing cases you 're talking not about uh, uh, they're being affected by ambient air, but by a, being affected by a, a stratospheric effect, which, uh, which then has an, another consequence that, uh, uh, it, that you allege.
1: But, Your Honor, once these are omitted, the laws of physics take over, so our harm is imminent in the sense that lighting the, a fuse on a bomb is imminent harm. It Mr. milky take-
3: does it make a difference that you're not representing a group of law students, but there are a number of states who are claiming that they are disarmed from regulating and that the regulatory responsibility has been given to the Federal Government and the Federal Government isn't exercising it. I thought you had a discreet claim based on the sovereignty of states and their inability to regulate their dependence on the law Congress passed, that gives that authority to the EPA. I
1: thought that was. you're Your Honor, you are, you are correct that we are saying that that provides us also an independent source of, of our standing. I don't
2: understand that. You, you have standing whenever a Federal law preempts State action. You can complain about the implementation of that law because it has preempted your State action. Is that the basis of standing, you're alleging?
1: Uh- in short, Your Honor, it, you know it, any
2: case that has ever, ever held that?
1: Your Honor, I would, I would cite you to the uh, amicus brief of the State of Arizona et al., which cites several cases, albeit not in this court, that uh, stand for that principle. Your Honor, if I may turn to the merits quickly, um, Section 202 provides EPA jurisdiction over any air pollutant that motor vehicles admit. It is not restricted to certain types of air pollutants or to air pollutants that cause certain kinds of harm. And not only does the Act define air pollutant with comprehensive breadth, but we know these four substances are air pollutants from other evidence. Uh, for example, Congress itself expressly referred to carbon dioxide as an air pollutant in Section 103G. And since, by definition, all air pollutants are air pollution agents, we know that Congress understood carbon dioxide to be an agent of air pollution. Uh, and if air pollution Moving
0: from, from your... your Authority argument to the exercise of authority. The, the, the clause uh, 202a1 uh, requires EPA to prescribe standards um, which, in their judgment, cause or contribute to air pollution reasonably anticipated to endanger public health. And they say they haven't made that judgment yet, so they're not in in uh, violation of that statutory command.
1: Uh, that, that is correct, Your Honor. But they have said that they have put off making a judgment based on impermissible grounds. Uh, while EPA's explanation is difficult even to follow, one overarching point shines through, and that is that the agency does not agree with taking a regulatory approach, regardless of how it might otherwise come out. let Let's
0: say the first day this law is passed, I, I, there are a lot of air pollutants that come out of motor vehicles. I mean, is EPA immediately in violation of this statute if they don't issue uh, uh, emissions regulations for every one of those air pollutants on day one?
1: No, Your Honor. EPA has a lot of room to move, um, based both on the endangerment standard itself and on background principles of administrative law. Um, And
0: presumably the principle that they want to deal with what they regard as the more serious threats sooner. They want to deal with lead first, and then they want to deal with other stuff. I mean, what, what is the... When do they, I guess, move into an abuse of discretion and not exercising a judgment with respect to a particular policy? The
1: answer to that, Your Honor, is that when they do not rely on any of those grounds, they did not rely on lack of information, they did not rely on background principles of administrative law, what they said here is, um, and they did not, in fact, contest the seriousness of the problem, but note, in two back-to-back sentences, Uh, on page A82 of the CERT petition, they say, we must address the issue, but we disagree with the regulatory approach. Um, The very section in which they explained why they weren't going to regulate is entitled different policy approach. Rejecting mandatory motor vehicle regulation as a bad idea is simply not a policy choice that Congress left to EPA. But if you were
3: right and then it went back and — The EPA then said, well, an obvious reason also is constraint on our own resources. We have the authority to say what comes first. Congress, we couldn't possibly do everything that Congress has authorized us to do. So it's our decision that even though we have the authority to do this, we think that we should spend our resources on other things. Suppose they said that. You said they didn't say it this time around, but how far do you get if all that's going to happen is it goes back and then EPA says our resources are constrained and we're not going to spend them on this?
1: Your Honor, while background administrative law pr- uh, principles provide EPA at least some room to move, we think it's important that EPA say that. if they It's a very different opinion if they say um, we are not going to regulate here because we just don't want to spend the resources um, we, uh, on this problem and we want to look elsewhere. Um, if they want to say that, they can say that, and then if at all, there would be a narrow, arbitrary, and capricious challenge on that. But the point is here, they relied on the impermissible consideration that they simply disagreed with the policy behind the statute. Mr. Well, that's Milkey, not, my, sorry.
0: That's not all they said. I'm looking at A eighty five, and they said establishing emissions now would require EPA to make scientific and technical judgments without the benefit of studies that are being developed to reduce the uncertainty in the area. Yes, it's yes. different than saying they disagree with the regulatory approach.
1: It isn't, it isn't your honor because that statement will always be true. There will always be scientific uncertainty. Agencies will always have an understandable Um, interest in in seeing more information. They never — There's a difference between the
0: scientific status of, you know, the harm from lead emissions from vehicles that — when you had lead in the gasoline, to the status — to the status of of scientific knowledge with respect to the impact on global warming today. Those are two very different levels of uncertainty.
1: Uh, Your Honor, when EPA regulated lead uh, back in the ethyl days, there was, as the Court itself took note, there were huge amounts of uncertainty at that time. And EPA has a lot of discretion in evaluating that, that uncertainty. And if the EPA determined that the level of uncertainty was such that it was not reasonable to anticipate endangerment, that is perfectly appropriate. It would also be appropriate if the agency determined that there was so much uncertainty that they couldn't even form a judgment on that. That would be applying the endangerment standard. At the same time, it put off. But the point is, they did not say any of that. They instead relied uh, on impermissible grounds. Why are they, Mr. Milkey,
2: I, I, I had uh, my, my problem is is precisely on the on the impermissible grounds. Uh, to be sure, carbon dioxide is a pollutant, and it can be an air pollutant if we fill this room with carbon dioxide. It, it, could be. Uh, an air pollutant that endangers health but I always thought an air pollutant was something different from a a stratospheric pollutant and your claim here is not that the pollution of of what we normally call air is endangering health that isn't that isn't your, your your assertion is that after the pollutant leaves the air and goes up into the stratosphere It is is, uh, contributing to global warming. Uh,
1: Respectfully, Your Honor, it's not the stratosphere. It's the troposphere.
2: Troposphere, whatever. uh, Um, I told you before I'm not a scientist.
1: uh, That's that's why I don't want to have
2: to deal with global warming, uh, to tell you the truth.
1: uh, Under the express words of the statute, and this is 302G, for something to be an air pollutant, it has to be emitted into the ambient air or otherwise entered there.
2: Yes, and I agree with that. It is, when it comes out, an air pollutant. But is it an air pollutant that endangers health? I think it has to endanger health by reason of polluting the air. And this does not endanger health by reason of polluting the air at
1: all. Uh, Your Your Honor, respectfully, I, I disagree. And there's nothing in the act that actually requires the harm to occur in the ambient air. Uh, in fact, some of the harm here does occur there.
2: Well, it talks and, about air pollution all the time. That's what the, that's what the thing is about, air pollution. But, it's not about global warming, and it's not about the troposphere. Uh,
1: y- Your Honor, we are not saying, first of all, that, that uh, global warming is air pollution any more than we're saying that asthma is air pollution. There are both effects. Um, I would point you to the example of acid rain, uh, where the pollutant there, sulfur dioxide, um, the problem is it causes its harm after it leaves the air, after it gets washed out. Air pollutants do not need to cause their harm uh, in the ambient air. Um, And, Your Honor, I I would add that um, our interpretation uh, satisfies common sense um, because uh, while EPA has uh, plenary authority over substances that motor vehicles emit, uh, those substances are regulated only Uh, if EPA determines that they cause endangerment. And by uh, defining the term air pollutant comprehensively, um, Congress has not prejudged what may cause endangerment, but it has allowed additional pollutants to be regulated as their harms become appreciated. It is EPA's interpretation that fails the common sense test. They have suggested that the term air pollutant agent creates an independent test so important that it may prevent some harmful compounds from being regulated without providing any hint of what the term means or how it applies in this case. And they cannot explain any number of anomalies, such as the fact that methane is already a regulated air pollutant, yet they claim they can't look at its climate effects. Um, Your Honor, if there are no more questions, I'd like to reserve my time. Thank
0: you, Mr. Milkey. Uh, Mr. Garr?
7: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. After carefully considering the issue the nation's expert agency in environmental matters concluded that Congress has not authorized it to embark on the regulation of greenhouse gas emissions to address global climate change, and that even if it has, now is not the time to exercise such authority in light of the substantial scientific uncertainties surrounding global climate change and the ongoing studies designed to address those uncertainties. Petitioners have provided no reason to override that quintessential Administrative judgment. Mr. Garth,
3: Minif- doesn't the uh, EPA's decision on the first, we don't have any authority, doesn't that infect its subsequent decision? Well, if, even if we did, we wouldn't exercise it. But they've already decided they don't have authority.
7: I, Your Honor, I, I don't think that it does in the sense I think the EPA made clear in its decisional document that it considered as an alternative matter that if it, even assuming it did have the authority, that it wouldn't be appropriate to exercise it at this time. And importantly, too, I mean, just, just to be clear on this, EPA has never made an endangerment finding with respect to global climate change. That was true in 1998 and 1999 when the agency had a different position on authority to regulate. Even then, the agency's position was clear. Even assuming we have the authority, now is not the time to exercise it. So I, I, I don't um, think — you just
3: said, I take it then, on the question, is there authority? The EPA has come out one way, but at least it's debatable because, as you've just said, the predecessors of the current people, said we do have the authority.
7: Well, and and to that degree, Your Honor, this Court has made clear, for example, in the Brand X case, that even where agencies change positions, where they've provided reasonable grounds for the new interpretation, that interpretation is entitled to Chevron deference. And we think that that is true in this case. Well, in
8: in this particular issue, the uh, opinion, as I read it, of the EPA consists of 32 pages. Twenty of those pages, 22, in fact, deal with whether they have statutory authority. And of the 10 that deal with the issue we're talking about now, five of them give as their reason that they think the President has a different policy. Of the remaining five, two more consider international aspects of the problem and how you have to get other countries to cooperate. And the conclusion of that part says in light of these considerations, we decide not to exercise our power. Now, their claim in respect to that is at least three of the four considerations are not proper things for the agency to take into account, namely, whether the President wants to do something different, whether we're running foreign policy properly, whether cooperation with other countries are relevant to this particular issue. So what they've asked us to do is send it back so they can get the right reasons. Now, if they want not to do it, what's your response to that,
7: Justice Breyer? I, I don't think that it depends on how many pages that the agency devoted to it. Right. A, a
8: reason, reason, reason? I thought it depended think, on that. Is is whether or not these other improper considerations might have influenced the ultimate decision? Not.
7: I, Go ahead. I think it depends on the reasons that the agency gave, and one of the reasons that the agency gave was the substantial scientific uncertainty surrounding the issue of global climate change. Petitioners acknowledge that that was an appropriate consideration for the agency. So even if you think the other considerations were inappropriate, and we certainly do not, but even if you think they are, the agency gave an appropriate reason, and that reason was supported. An opinion,
8: when I write an opinion, sometimes I write the words, we decide this matter, in light of the following three factors taken together. And I guess a lawyer who said one of those factors alone the Court has held justify the result all by itself, in saying the Court has held that, I guess that wouldn't be so. That would be a bad lawyer, wouldn't it? Uh, They write that all of these considerations justify our result, again, one of them by themselves, it sounds, they think would not have been
7: sufficient. I I don't think that that is a fair reading of the the EPA's decisional document, Your Honor. I I mean, certainly the, the agency didn't go out of its way to say, and we mean these considerations together and not any of them individually. And with respect to the scientific uncertainty, Your Honor, you also have to take into account that the EPA had before it and pointed to the report of the National Research Council on Global Climate That's
9: very Change. That, right. It's interesting that the scientists who worked on that report said there were a good many omissions that indi- would have indicated there wasn't nearly the uncertainty that the agency described.
7: Well, if you're referring to the amicus brief, Your Honor, I mean, there are, I mean, certainly there are amicus briefs on the other side, the balloonismicus brief. I think it's fair for the Court to look at to look at the document that the agency had before it. That, that document produced by the National Research Research Council. I mean, that—that's the research arm of the National Academies of, Science, of Sciences. It's, no, it's one of the gold they make standards is that of the
9: research. Selective quotations and they left out parts that indicated there was far less uncertainty than the agency purported to find.
7: Well, Your Honor, I, I think one thing that we ought to be able to agree on is that there is uncertainty surrounding the phenomenon of global climate change, and I think the debate is on which areas um, are more uncertain than, than the others. But certainly, I think the agency was entitled to. Conclude, particularly if you take into account that the the deference of this Court should get to that kind of determination, that the scientific uncertainty surrounding the issue of global climate change, surrounding issues of of the extent of natural variability in climate, surrounding the issues of the impact of climate feedbacks like ocean circulation or low cloud cover, um, were permissible considerations for the agency to take into account. Is there
9: uncertainty on the basic proposition that these greenhouse gases contribute to global warming?
7: Your Honor, the report says that it is likely that there is a, a connection, but that it cannot unequivocally be established. But I think that – if I could use that to go back to the standing question, Your Honor, which is the fundamental question of whether they've showed not just a connection between greenhouse gas emissions in Toto and the phenomenon of global climate change, but the particular class of greenhouse gas emissions at issue in this case, six percent of global greenhouse gas emissions at most – that assumes that you put all U.S. vehicles off the road or that they're all zero-emission cars. So you're it talking about a much yes, smaller It's class. not a
0: mathematical question, right? I mean, you were — it's it, — it, what's the number — what's enough, 10 percent, 15 percent? Well, I mean, Presumably there's more to it than the percentage of emissions attributable to this particular I think that's, that's
7: true, Your Honor. but what petitioners have to show, and they bear the burden in order to establish standing under this case, is that regulation of the class of greenhouse gases at issue in this case will make a difference to them. We'll address it was not
8: their greenhouse gas. Suppose it was Agent Orange. Suppose there's a car coming down the street, and it sprays out Agent Orange, And I come into the court and I say, "You know, I think that Agent Orange is going to kill me with cancer." And the reply is, well, we have some scientists here who say your chance of dying of cancer from Agent Orange is only one in 30, maybe one in 50, maybe one in 1,000, maybe one in 10,000, and therefore you have no standing to require the EPA to regulate this pollutant, Agent Orange, which is in a green cloud all over the city. Now, would you say that the person who's made that claim has no standing?
7: Your Honor, I I think that that is a fundamentally different case for the simple reason that global climate change is a global phenomenon. I mean, one —
8: I was only addressing — using that to to address your problem, that the chances are too small that, in fact, any one individual will be affected by the 7 percent or 6 percent of the material that comes out
7: of the truck and the 2 indi- the individual in that case, your honor, like the plaintiffs here, would have to show uh, specific facts demonstrating injury, redressability, and traceability. Now, in this case, on the record well, of your, your the
4: problem point, I the take proposition it- the proposition is that the greater the harm, the greater the risk, the smaller the probability has to be before it's reasonable to act and necessary to act.
7: Well, Your Honor, this Court's standing cases make clear that you have to show that granting the relief requested is likely to redress the alleged harms. And, and again, looking at the record in this case.
5: They are saying it is likely to do so, even though we cannot give you a point-for-point percentage correlation between reduction of gas and coastline loss. Uh, You're saying, it seems to me, that they have somehow got to pinpoint this mathematically. I, I don't think we're not saying that. Before, before there is redressability.
7: We're not saying that, Your Honor. We're saying that they have — certainly have to do more than what they've done here. And they've grounded their standing well, tell case. Tell me what it
5: is that they need. Be, be more specific about what they need to do.
7: Well, I, I will be more specific. And if I could also just point to what they've grounded their case on here, they've grounded their case on here in the declarations on the notion that if the United States regulates greenhouse gas emissions of vehicles, then other countries will follow suit, both with respect to the emissions of vehicles and other greenhouse gas emissions. That's clear from the McCracken Declaration at page 239, paragraph 32 of the J.A., as well as the Walsh Declaration. Well, he hasn't argued
2: that. The, 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 the Assistant Attorney General hasn't argued that here. Well, He has said the 6 percent is enough.
7: That, that's true, Your Honor, but I, I still think you have to look at – the basis that they've relied upon on standing, and they haven't shown specific facts which, pro- which should provide any comfort to this Court that regulation of less than 6 percent or fewer greenhouse gas emissions worldwide will have any effect on their alleged injuries. Why is
5: there, why is there uh, reason to assume that it will have no effect? Because well, that seems to be the assumption you're making. You're saying unless they can pinpoint the correlation between reduction of gas Uh, an effect, let's say, in coastline loss, uh, they have not shown either causation or a sufficient uh, uh, likelihood of redressability. Your Honor. But why do they have to show a precise correlation as opposed simply to to, to establishing what I think is not really contested, that there is a correlation between greenhouse gases and the kind of loss that they're talking about? And it is reasonable to suppose that some reduction in the gases will result in some reduction in future loss. Why is that insufficient?
7: Justice Souter, one fundamental reason is that we don't know what the rest of of the world is going to do. Whether let's assume the rest
5: of let's assume that the rest of the world does nothing. I don't think that's a very reasonable assumption, but let's make that assumption Uh, so that the only thing we're talking about is the six percent. If the 6 percent can be reduced, I think the suggestion was uh, over a reasonable period of time, by 2.5 percent of the 6, there is, I suppose, reason to expect that there will be maybe not 2.5 percent less coastline lost, but some degree of less coastline lost because there is a correlation between the gas and the loss of the coastline. Why is that? an unreasonable assumption to make in order to show causation and redressability, bearing in mind that redressability is a question of more or less, not a question of either or. They don't have to show that it will stop global warming. Their point is that it will reduce the degree of global warming and likely reduce the degree of loss, even if it's only by 2.5 percent. What's wrong with that?
7: Justice Souter, their burden is to show that if the court grants their requested relief, it will redress their injuries. I'm not aware not of any Not that it will redress science. their
5: injury in the sense that it will prevent any global warming or stop global warming and stop coastal erosion. Their argument is a different one. It will reduce the degree of global warming. And reduce the degree of coastal loss. I, I that's think their argument—not not all or nothing, but uh, a, a part. That's what they're trying to show.
7: And that's that's fine, Justice i Grant you that. But they still have to show that there is reason that it's likely to believe that the reduction in that tiny fraction of United States' emissions, putting aside the the 99 percent or the 95 percent of the rest of the world and what they do. And the evidence that shows that greenhouse gas emissions in those countries are increasing, mm-hmm. they have to show that the regulation of that tiny fraction would have an effect on their alleged injuries. Not not to completely address redress them, Your Honor. We don't grant they have that, to? Do, they don't have,
5: they have to show that it is reasonable to suppose that it will have an effect?
7: They have to show that it's likely, Your Honor, and they haven't even tried to make that showing. The one thing that they've pointed. Why, at, why is that showing?
5: I, I, I agree with, by the way, with, with the chief's suggestion a moment ago. Life is not or physics are not so simple as to assume that there's going to be a direct 2.5 percent reduction of coastline for a 2.5 percent uh, uh, reduction from the 6 percent. But isn't it intuitively reasonable to suppose that with some reduction of the greenhouse gases, there will be some reduction of the ensuing damage or the ensuing climate change, which causes the damage? Is, is, isn't that fair?
7: I don't think that it's fair, Your Honor. I, I don't want to pretend to be an expert on global climate change, but the one thing that I could sh- say based on the materials I've looked at is this is an extraordinarily complex area of science and that I'm not aware of any scientific studies available that would suggest that the regulation of that minuscule fraction of greenhouse gas emissions would have any e- effect whatsoever on this global climate change. Suppose others any... cooperate. What?
8: Uh, suppose sorry. others cooperate. Suppose, for example, but, they regulate this, and before you know it, uh, they start to sequester carbon uh, with the uh, power plants, and before you know it, uh, they decide ethanol might be a good idea. And before you know it, they try any one of 15 things, each of which has an impact. And lo and behold, Cape Cod is saved. And, and I think- now, now, why is it why is it unreasonable? Why is it unreasonable to go to an agency and say, "Now you do your part, which is six percent." And now we're going to go to a different agency like and We're going to ask them, too. And we're going to go to your your, uh, uh, electricity regulation program and coal. And there are, like, not a million things that have to be done. Maybe there are only seven. But by the time we get those seven things done, we'll make a big difference. Now, what is it in the law that says that somehow a person cannot go to an agency and say, we want you to do your part, would we, you, be up here saying the same thing if we were trying to regulate child pornography? And it turns out that anyone with a computer can get pornography elsewhere? I don't think so.
7: Your Honor, what I would point you to is your decision in Lujan versus Defenders of Wildlife, Justice Kennedy's opinion in the Sarko versus Kadish, where the Court made clear that you cannot establish standing based on predictions, of the actions of independent actors not before it. That's true about other agencies that aren't here today. That's true about other countries who this Court does not have jurisdiction So
8: they couldn't in- have gone in and asked for, for ozone regulation because that requires under countries? Or what about uh, uh, dumping heavy metals in the sea and uh, uh, the sea gets polluted because of what other countries do, but EPA's has tried to regulate that? Acid rain, they've tried to regulate. You're saying there's no standing to ask for any of that stuff? Well,
7: first of all, Congress has specifically addressed two of the areas that you mentioned, Your Honor. And we're not saying that categorically Just because there's, it's
8: because there's no standing to challenge an agency decision doesn't mean the agency can't regulate that particular area,
7: right? That's exactly right, Your Honor. That's exactly right.
8: But you are okay. saying if Congress passes a statute and they put the word CO2 right in this statute under ambient air and they say anybody can go and sue if the EPA doesn't do it, you're saying Congress lacks the constitutional authority to do that because it's Article 3 we're talking about?
7: But, Your Honor, we're saying two things. First, every plaintiff has the obligation to establish that he has Article Three standing under this Constitution. And secondly, there are there are members of this court, for example, Justice Kennedy, in his concurring opinion in Defenders of Wildlife, who did suggest that perhaps if Congress specifically addresses an issue, that could inform the standing analysis. For example, but it can't if Congress, override the
0: requirements it, of Article
7: Three. It, it cannot, Your Honor. Congress could make findings with respect to causation or other issues that this court would have to give deference to and seriously consider. But you're right; it would not override the requirements of Article Three. And there may be some global phenomenon that that create more difficult challenges to establish standing. But as I understand
9: the government's position, you're not merely questioning standing, but you also take the position that you do not have the authority to do what the plaintiff asks you to do. Isn't that correct?
7: That's true, Your Honor. Moving to the merits, that's true. And and with respect to that, the agency engaged in the same type of analysis that this Court laid out in the Brown and Williamson case.
9: May I ask you on that question, if we turn to the statute, Section 201, there's reference to that you shall — uh, shall regulate if, in the, in the judgment of the administrator, there's a, a real danger and so forth. In, in your view, is there a duty to make a judgment?
7: Uh, your Honor, we, our view is that agencies have inherent discretion to determine when to make that judgment.
9: But could they, could they make, have a discretion never to make the judgment?
7: I think that gets to the question of whether there is what judicial review is available. We've, we've assumed in this case that there is some measure of judicial review. So I think at some point you got to the point where the agency either had provided no reasons whatsoever or there was no sound basis um, for the agency not to take that step. Then, assuming that there is a role for the courts here, a court could come in and say that that was inappropriate. See, if I
9: read your brief, you didn't really confront the question, as I understand, whether or not there was a duty to make a judgment at all. And I'm interested in what your position on that is.
7: Well, again, again, I think it goes to the question, uh, we think the statute does not put a deadline on when the agency Uh, have to act, and it therefore leaves to me just
9: reading the the text of the statute is a little ambiguous and not entirely clear. But it seems to me that just reading that statute, I got the impression that Congress thought that the Administrator had a duty to make a judgment when there was enough evidence out there that people were concerned about and so forth, that, that there would be a duty here, but you that, think not?
7: That's not the agency's interpretation. In fact, in its decisional document under the section No Mandatory Duty, the agency explains why that's not its interpretation, and we think that that's a reasonable interpretation. Congress knows how to constrain the exercise of discretion. We point in footnotes 18 and 19 of our, our brief of many examples where Congress has laid out deadlines, or other other constraints on the exercise of discretion and those aren't present in section 2 of way well, 1 and, and, agree that if
9: they did make a ju- if he did make a judgment then you would have authority to regulate
7: it. that's right and and i think it's the point that the dc circuit made in the ethel corporation case in footnote 37 that precisely because the, the statute imposes a duty to act once that endangerment finding is made the agency has discretion to determine when to make the endangerment in, finding
4: in norton versus uh, utah wilderness alliance uh, with Having to do with the regulation of off-road vehicles, uh, we indicated that uh, one measure was whether or not the, act, the agency has unreasonably delayed its, its action.
7: And that, That's a separate si- uh, sort of action, Your Honor. There are um, cases where people have said that this is an unreasonable delay. That's, that's not the claim that the petitioners in this case brought. And, and that I
0: understand cla- your answer to Justice Stevens's question: That if EPA made the judgment under the statute, you think, think they would have had the authority? Uh, under the statute. I thought you had a, a Brown and Williamson argument that that uh, EPA was precluded. Well, I, I was
7: assuming, in answering Justice Stevens's questions, that we were down in the exercise of discretion part. But you're, I mean, you're right, Your Honor. The threshold position of the agency on this is that it lacks the authority Can, can I ask
2: about that? I found uh, um, a persuasive uh, 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 Solicitor General Gar's uh, point that uh, um, in the acid rain context uh, it, isn't, uh, it isn't air pollution that, uh, that, that harms uh, health uh, but rather it's uh, the effect of, of the pollutant after it leaves the air and, and produces uh, the acid rain uh, is there anything wrong with that uh, With that response, it seems to me? Uh...
7: I, I think there is, Your Honor. The, the way that the agency looked at this is to look at the question of whether Congress intended it to regulate greenhouse gas emissions to address global climate change. And it looked to the factors that this Court laid out in Brown and Williams, and the statute as a whole, the specific legislation addressing global climate change, and it concluded that the agency had not – authorized it to embark on that regulatory okay, endeavor. You, you,
2: you can see that it's an it's, it's an air pollutant that affects health?
7: No. The agency — what the agency found, Your Honor, was that because global climate change um, is not — air pollution within the meaning of the statute, which is to say that Congress did not authorize it to regulate it as air pollution. Why
2: isn't it air pollution within the meaning of the statute, although what, whatever it is that causes acid rain is?
7: I, I think, Your Honor, that the key to the agency was that Congress did not give it regulatory authority over this. And, and I think on the question of whether or not Greenhouse gas emissions qualifies. But you can't. Air you
2: can't give me any text in the, in the, this statute itself. Well, the, it isn't the it isn't the phrase air pollution or any other. Phrase
7: the agency that includes them. The agency pointed to the term air pollution agent in the statute, and it concluded that because global climate change was not air pollution that Congress intended to address. It's
2: back to acid rain.
7: And with respect to acid rain, it's a good example insofar as Congress has enacted a whole separate title of the Clean Air Act to address acid rain. The other thing I want to mention on the interpretive question is, in the Brown and Williamson case, this Court assumed at the outset of its analysis that nicotine would be within the general terms of the definition of drug in the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, and that cigarettes would fall within the general terms of drug delivery. Is that the
2: position you're taking? That it well, is th- in the general term. It's not the position the agency took.
7: I think it's largely the position that the agency took, Your Honor. Insofar so far it reasoned that, look, we've looked at everything. We conclude that Congress doesn't intend us to regulate global climate change as air pollution. And so, therefore, we're not going to say that greenhouse gases are air pollution agents.
3: Because Mr. They don't well, there's a diff- s- significant difference between the agency saying that for 60 years, and I think this Court stressed that in its opinion, and Congress reacting to that, what the agency's position was. And here, where it's a newly minted position, because the agency's position not too long ago was that they did have the authority.
7: Well, Justice Ginsburg, it was, it was 30 years um, before the agency reached the conclusion in 1998 that carbon dioxide was an air pollutant, and again, even when it reached that conclusion, it made clear that it didn't think that the agency would exercise its authority to regulate. Well, that's a di- it,
3: the different question. I'm just it, focusing on: did it have authority to deal with this if it?
7: And, and and I think I mean I grant you that there are differences between Brown and Williamson in this case, but but the fundamental conclusion that the agency reached is the same, which is. To, to borrow the phrase from the Whitman case, Congress does not intend to hide elephants and mouseholes. Here, when you're talking about an issue of the magnitude of regulating global climate change and greenhouse gas emissions, which are – which are a – a fundamentally um, an important part of the Nation's economy. Nearly 85 percent of the economy is a direct or indirect source of greenhouse gas emissions. And when you look at when Congress did mention carbon dioxide in the statute, which is in the 1990 Amendment, Section 103 g that was the first time that Congress mentioned CO2. And when it did that, it went out of its way to say that it was giving non-regulatory authority to the agency and, moreover, that nothing in this section shall provide any basis for any air pollution control requirements. That's a strange thing for Congress to say if it had believed that the agency already had this far-reaching authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. There, there are other aspects of the statute that we think um, lead to the same conclusion in Brown and Williamson. There's, there's a fundamental inconsistency, the agency included, between attempting to regulate greenhouse gas emissions under the National Air Ambient Quality System, um, and, and that inconsistency is, is similar to the inconsistency that the Court pointed out in the Brown and Williamson case.
8: Quite different. I'd, I'd like you to address that. He said there's a lot, there was a lot of legislation in Congress that would have been pretty inconsistent with serious regulation by the FDA. And in this case, I don't think Congress is opposing the notion. I don't know anybody there who's in favor of global warming. And and it it seems to me there haven't passed laws that is actually that would would be significantly interfered with by the EPA trying to do its best to deal with this problem. Or am I wrong?
7: I think you're wrong in the following respect, Your Honor. Congress, Congress has passed at least six separate statutes specifically addressed to the issue of global warming. And all of them share two common features. One, we want you to research this issue and learn more about it. And two, we want you to work on an international framework for addressing global climate change. The agency reasonably concluded that unilateral U.S. regulation of greenhouse gases. Is there anything
8: in the statute that prevents them from consulting with other nations or prevents the government from doing that when they determine how best to work out whatever standards or other forms of regulation they want?
7: There's nothing in the Clean Air Act if that's a statute you're referring to. But I think I, if, if I presume
2: the problem that they have in mind is that we have nothing to give in international negotiations. If we've done everything we can to reduce CO2, what, you know, what deal do we make with foreign nations? And that's — What in insights do they have to go along with us?
7: That's right, Your Honor. You've got a unique no, collective isn't. action problem, and you had the same — the reaction — experience that the agency had in dealing with the, the issue of stratospheric ozone depletion, where you had precisely that situation, where the U.S. initially took steps, um, green, the, the stratospheric ozone depletion worsened, and it was only after an international agreement was reached, the Montreal Protocol, um, that, that a global solution to the problem was do reached. Do you think and they con- have is
8: a reason, yes or no, as I'm not an expert in foreign affairs. The EPA probably is more than I am, but do you think that if they do rest their decision on their analysis of foreign affairs that that is a proper basis for an agency like the epa to refuse to regulate
7: i think it's a proper basis within its inherent discretion your honor for at least two reasons one Uh, The agency is a part of the executive branch, and it had unique experience with the issue of stratospheric ozone depletion. And, two, Congress has made clear, for example, in the Global Climate Protection Act of 1987, that the EPA has a role in at least reporting to Congress on international cooperation and efforts in that realm. But Congress has not ever
5: said, don't regulate domestically
7: for purposes of global warming. That's true, Your Honor. I mean, but if,
5: if, if, the, the problem I have with, with your reference to this very, these various pieces of legislation that suggests that Congress has a different modus operandi in mind is that Congress certainly is aware that EPA has authority over pollutants and it has never interfered with it.
7: Well, Your Honor, again, I mean, I think looking at all the sources that the agency looked to, the conclusion is that the agency responsibly and prudently reaches, that Congress has not authorized it to embark on this regulatory endeavor. And I think the closest statute no, it, that it comes isn't, to
5: — isn't that a, a misstatement? Isn't the conclusion that they're trying to draw that Congress doesn't want them to exercise the authority they have for this purpose? And isn't that something quite different? And doesn't that raise the question whether that is a legitimate concern for them under the statute that does give them the authority?
7: I answer the question? Uh, No, Your Honor. I think the agency's conclusion was Congress had not authorized it to undertake the regulation of greenhouse gas emissions to address global climate change, and that even if it had, that authority should not be exercised. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Mr. Garr. Mr. Milkey, you have three minutes remaining.
2: Mr. Milkey, do you want us to send this case back to the EPA to uh, ask them whether, uh, if uh, only the last two pages of their opinion uh, were given as a reason, that would suffice? Uh, would that make you happy?
1: It would not make us happy, Your I didn't Honor. Think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your, your Honor, if I, if I can address the uh, the global aspects of the problem, the fact that uh, the solution to the whole what problem is
8: your answer to Justice Scalia? Because I thought you said before that you thought it was appropriate for us to send this case back so that they could redetermine, in light of proper considerations, whether they wanted to
2: exercise their authority.
1: That is Are exactly, wrong about that? Your Honor, that is exactly w- what we want. I understood Justice Scalia. Oh, oh, that's, 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 that's,
2: that's what I, I was that. asking. Yeah. And, and you think it will go, we'll go back to them? They, they will say, oh, my goodness, the uh, the scientific uncertainty is, is not enough by itself. You really expect that to happen? Uh,
1: respectfully, Your Honor, I think he will have a hard time saying um, that there is uh, insufficient I mean, mean, too much scientific uh, uncertainty, the very sentence. They
2: said it already.
1: No, Your Honor. The only question
2: is whether that alone is enough.
1: Respectfully, Your Honor, they did not say that. They did not anywhere say why the existing uncertainty mattered. To the contrary, they emphasized the need to act in the face of current uncertainty, but never explained why that principle applies to a non-regulatory approach, but not to a regulatory one. What they said is
0: until more is understood about the causes, extent, and significance of climate change and the potential options for addressing it, we believe it's inappropriate to regulate these emissions. Your it Honor, but me but is saying they think it's, there's too much uncertainty for them to act.
1: Your Honor, they did not say there's too much uncertainty for them to form a judgment, which is the key issue. Um, they said they preferred more certainty, but because of the nature of the endangerment standard, which emphasizes the importance of regulating in the face of uncertainty, they have to at least explain why the uncertainty matters. And that is, their, what they did here is particularly troubling in the fact that they ignored all of the indications pointing toward endangerment. They looked at what we don't know without ever looking at what we do know.
6: If the EPA concludes that regulating uh, an air pollutant would endanger public health and welfare, can it decline to, to regulate?
1: Uh, not under Section 202, Your Honor. Um,
6: it has to regulate even if it concludes that regulation would make things worse?
1: Would make things worse, Your Honor? Yes. I'm sorry, I did not understand that. Uh, no, Your Honor, if, if, if they thought there would be more endangerment that way, they uh, would not have to regulate.
6: Then why can't they, what is wrong with their with their view that for the United States to proceed unilaterally would make things worse, and therefore they're going to decline to regulate for that reason?
1: Uh, your Honor, first of all, I, I don't believe they, they actually said that, and there is nothing in the statute that even hints That they can take foreign policy considerations uh, uh, into account to the contrary the statute is very specific in other sections about when they're supposed to look at foreign uh, emissions isn't the
6: definition of of public welfare extremely broad
1: Uh, your honor it it is certainly extremely broad Um, and it does include climate Uh, thank you your honor
0: thank you council the case is submitted